morning. Uh, this is Mission Sunday. We're going to get reacquainted with our mission. Very often in the aftermath of critical events, assessments take place. What happened? Where? When? And why? What were the consequences? And that's what's taking place now, right, in sort of, we say, the aftermath of COVID-19. And we do understand that it's not over. It's not over, though many of us are, are done with it. It's not done. Um, but we're coming out from it. I think we could all at least agree there. It's not as severe, not as intimidating, not as scary as it used to be. We're able to make a lot of adaptations. We've gained a lot more knowledge. We're a lot more comfortable with things. We are learning to live with the, the pandemic or with COVID. And that's what's happening. And we're coming out of it. A lot of people are asking questions. It's happening in the world as we do our assessment and our evaluation. It's also happening in the church. Matt Adair is a discipleship coach who writes the kind of stuff that I jokingly say that I read so you don't have to. Um, he recently asked 50 pastors this question. He said, on this side of the pandemic, what's the most painful challenge your church is facing in its efforts to disciple people? And he reported that 85% of the pastors responded by essentially saying, that people have lost the habit of following Jesus together. Now, I don't think I know any of the pastors who were surveyed there, but I do know plenty of pastors who would say the exact same thing. People have lost the habit of following Jesus together. And that is, if, that is not a criticism. It may land as one. It may come across as one. But it's not a criticism. It's an observation. And it is a completely understandable conclusion to draw. Adair continues, he said, it's not hard to see why coming through a pandemic that required shutting down in-person gatherings presented huge challenges. Even now that we're gathering again, old habits die hard. Many people are just no longer showing up for church and midweek activities. So he says old habits die hard, and I think we might more accurately say old habits are easily replaced by new ones. If our habits of worshiping and fellowshipping regularly and serving, if those things are no longer options to us, which they weren't and hadn't been at different levels over a long period of time, then we will find other things to do. And why wouldn't we? We develop new habits. We develop new routines. So the question I pose to you today is, are these new habits good habits? And are they better than the habit of following Jesus together? Let's pray. Father, as we come to this portion of our service, we ask, as always, that your will be done. Your word be heard. Your spirit lead and direct. For your honor and your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the places new habits among believers is most obviously impacted is worship attendance. On average, evangelical churches are reporting a resurgence in Sunday worship attendance while also acknowledging a 25% 
decline in overall attendance, which means that people are coming back, but not all the people are coming back. The movement of returning to church has plateaued at about three quarters of a church's pre-pandemic participation. We get it that some people just don't feel comfortable coming back to a corporate gathering. Uh, and we can certainly be patient with those brothers and sisters, but that is actually a small slice of the non-returners. In truth, most of the non-returners or now occasional attenders have found other things to do on Sunday mornings. It seems anecdotally, at least, that the priority of worship has fallen down the scale for a lot of Christians, and it takes a lot less these days to distract us or to keep us from the regular routine of worship. And among those who have come back, it is a small percentage who are faithful to worship every Sunday. And that was a trend that we were seeing pre-pandemic, that people were calling regular worship attendance one out of four, two out of four Sundays. It is kind of like our culture, isn't it? If we don't like a word, we just change the meaning of it. So regular attendance has had changed pre-pandemic, and now it seems to be even worse. And that really is like a summary shot of the entire the l landscape of the American church. It's everywhere. The sort of analysis that actually has fear-mongering pundits predicting a looming crisis, perhaps even the demise of the church. How good that we're studying the book of Acts, don't you think? Where we see again and again and again the church that Jesus is building is unstoppable. Because there are people who want us to believe that it's all coming down to an end. The church is becoming irrelevant. The church is not going to exist in 10 or 20 years. So what can we do? What, what, what do we do, actually, with the worship trend that we see? Well, according to uh, Colin Hansen, who, who helped to write Rediscover Church, why the body of Christ is essential, he says we have to retrain people from the beginning on why you should bother to assemble big groan among the pastors, like we have to retrain people again, yes. But he says, I think pastors take, for, take that for granted and are going to be surprised how many people never had that vision to begin with and never came back when all the all clear order was given. Yeah, I, that makes me laugh because I think all of us pastors at times overestimate what we think people know and what we think we've communicated both at the same time. Is worship important? Do you know how important it is? Are you familiar with the scripture? Do we need to retrain everybody? Well, perhaps to a degree we do. Matt Adair weighs in. He says, there's no silver bullet for reversing this trend, but one thing is clear. It's going to take changing the very culture of churches to prioritize once again serving and learning and growing together. It's going to take changing the culture. Well, the church is its people, right? Not the facilities, not the programs. And the culture of a church is a cumulative psyche of that fellowship, the behaviors of its people, the thoughts and attitudes of its people. So in order for a culture to become one where serving and learning and growing again are prioritized, these things must be the priorities of the people. They have to be your priorities if, they're going to, if we're going to own them collectively and say they are our priorities. And so what we're trying to do today, or what I hope to do today, is encourage that recalibration what we might call proper prioritization, the best and the circumspect use of our time and talents, knowing that we exist to glorify God. And as the Apostle Paul reminds us in the book of Ephesians, the days are evil. 
thought it would be a good idea to take some time to revisit the mission and share some practical ways that everybody can participate in it. If you've been here for any length of time, uh, you know the mission of the United Baptist Church of Ellsworth. It is to make disciples of Jesus Christ through worship, fellowship, and service to the glory of God. And that mission comes straight from what we believe, the Great Commission in Matthew 28. We're commanded by Jesus to make disciples. Amen. And this is how the church of God grows. Believers sharing their faith with other people who then become believers. It's just exactly what we're reading about in the, in the study of Acts. And this is how disciples grow and are transformed, who are, how they are made mature in Jesus through the community of fellow believers who gathers together in corporate worship, who spends time with each other beyond Sunday morning in fellowship, who link arms and make the church, serving the church and serving the world, um, one of their priorities to make those things better places, dedicating their times and their gifts and their talents and their skills, serving and edifying, building up each other. That's what it's all about. So let's take a look at the mission briefly. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus through worship. Now nobody is going to argue, I don't think, that God in heaven does not deserve our worship. Are you going to say that? No. God does deserve our worship. And I would push that not only does he deserve our worship, but he deserves for, for us uh, to worship him the way that he wants to be worshipped. Will you go with me there? That if God deserves worship, but he also deserves to be worshipped in the way that he desires, that he dictates. And what he wants is for his people to regularly gather to worship him. And the proof text, of course, there is Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, written to a group of believers who are at risk of losing their sense of Jesus' greatness when compared to their unsaved existences. And that happens, doesn't it? The, if, you, if we stay away from each other and we stay away from worship, all of a sudden we begin to glorify those old days, sometimes those old pre-saved days, and think, well, it was so much easier then, it was so much better. Well, that was great. The writer of Hebrews writes to say that Jesus is greater than everything. And that if you don't keep that in mind and you aren't reminded of that through gathering and worship and serving, you may forget that. And if you do forget that, then you are bound to slide back. And Hebrews is written to say, don't slide back. And worse than that, you're susceptible to having your heart hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You can get a hard heart if you forget that Jesus is greater than everything. And so writing in that context... He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the rigors of life for these early Christians had led some to the habit of neglecting corporate worship. The challenges that were in front of them, the busyness that confronted them, had led them to neglect assembling together. Can you relate to that? We can all relate to that, can't we? I think we can. And the challenge of this command in Hebrews 10, actually, is to consider, which is a word that means to observe fully or to fix one's mind upon, to think through how to use, uh, how to stir up. King James Version, I think, reads provoke. I, like, I always like that. You come to church to provoke each other. Um, to incite our fellow believers to love and good works, which includes meeting together in worship. So the gathering is, is likely not where all this encouraging is supposed to take place. However, it is a significant part of the encouragement that's supposed to happen with regularity. One of the challenges that we find 
in the contemporary church is the missing piece in attendees' minds that they were come together um, for themselves. But what's missing is the idea that they are not there for themselves primarily, but for the honor of God and the good of others. We think oftentimes I go to this church because I like this, that, and the other. And when in fact, the Holy Spirit draws people to his church to build it up because of their unique gifting and composition so that they might serve it. If you read that, you read in 1 Corinthians, you read about That's why we're here. We're here to serve one another and to serve God by doing that. Author, church consultant, former pastor Tom Rayner recently wrote an article. He said, five seeming, uh, called five seemingly well-intending sentences that are hurting the church. And number three, he says, Jesus and I get along just fine by ourselves. <laughs> to which he replies, no, you don't. <laughs> Jesus wants you to get off your idle posture and connect with other believers. From Acts 2 to Revelation 3, the Bible is about the local church or written in the context of the local church. The local church is God's plan A, and he didn't give us a plan B. As fellow believers, we absolutely do need each other. And the absence of sweet fellowship has been one of the worst parts of the pandemic. And we have watched the faith of some people crumble, at least in part because of it. But we are back. And we want to encourage you to come back, everyone to come back and take their place as co-worshipers and encouragers in church every Lord's Day. Unless you're sick. <laughs> Stay away if you are sick. And on the odd occasion when you may have or face an inescapable conflict, because at some point, somebody's going to jump up. They're, well, they're going to jump up. They're more likely to send an email. That's legalistic. I'm not being legalistic to tell you what the scripture requires, what God wants. We're not trying to earn favor with God by coming here every Sunday. We're acknowledging that God deserves our presence here every Sunday because he gave us his son and he saved our souls. And he's worthy of our worship every Lord's day. I would ask you to consider how the strategy of the enemy is to keep you and your family from obeying God's command to worship with his church. You just think about what the enemy is up to in this world, and I want to encourage you to be wise and not to fall for it. So our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ through worship and also through fellowship. What is fellowship? It doesn't always involve food, but often it does. <laughs> but that doesn't make it fellowship. Fellowship is this. In simplest terms, fellowship is sharing life. And the word that we find in the, in the original Greek is koinonia. And expresses this idea of partnership, an idea of participation, of togetherness, of holding things in common. And this koinonia was demonstrated quite literally in the early church. We've been through some of those texts and we'll continue pushing through them. As they committed to spend time together and also as they pooled their resources in order to look after each other. These first Christians shared their lives with each other. They were closely involved with each other. And we just haven't had the opportunity to do that over the last couple of years. Um, 
at least not the way that we were used to doing it pre-pandemic. But that is changing, praise God. And as you see, if you have taken a look at your bulletin this morning, you see um, we are about to have a lot going on here between Sundays in terms of groups and studies and events. And I should tell you, that is not because we love programming. We don't. We don't love programming. We love people. We love people and we want to connect people with each other because we truly do believe that we grow and are transformed more into the likeness of Jesus together than apart. So that's what this is all about. And if it looks like we're getting busy, we are getting busy. We won't apologize for that. But it's because we want people to connect with each other and to love each other and to grow around that word of God. You see, fellowship is sharing life and it is not restricted to the compartment uh, or the hour or two that we might call church. Fellowship is everything. It involves worship. It involves child rearing. It involves work. It involves relationships. It involves health. It involves finances. Fellowship is doing life together. That is the model of the early church. That is what God wants for his church today, doing life together. Not in a nosy way, right? Not in a busybody way, but in a humble, committed way that says, I need you, and you need me, if we are going to be all God intends us to be in this life. We simply need each other to pull this thing off. Fellowship is sharing life from a shared life in Christ. Probably the text where this pattern is most beautifully demonstrated is Acts chapter 2. It's the passage that Pastor Mike and Justin preached on in July. Verse 42 in particular describes the life of those earliest Christians. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. The early Christians were devoted, a word that in the original means to adhere to, to be constant, to be earnest towards, steadfastly attentive to, to persevere and not faint. The early Christians were devoted, unwavering, all in when it came to fellowship. They were diligent to do life together. They, they learned together. They celebrated together. They ate together. They prayed together. They took communion together. And certainly one of the unfortunate consequences of this last couple of years is it has encouraged believers. It has even allowed believers, church members, to become devoted to lesser things. Lesser things than fellowship. Not necessarily bad things, right? Different things, new habits, lesser things, not kingdom advancing activities, not kingdom advancing commitments or relationships. Sometimes, actually, the pandemic allowed us to be committed to no things. That was probably one of the better parts of it, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. A couple of weeks into that original attempt to flatten the curve, my wife looked at me and said, You know, I don't hate this. <laughs> I was glad, because uh, all we'd done is spend time together. But um, there was a part of that, right, that was quite liberating. It was like, oh, I don't have to do this, and I don't have to do that. All of a sudden, I'm free. And that, that was great. But actually, what that probably spoke to more than anything, right, brothers and sisters, was our need for balance in our lives and how easily our lives get out of balance and, and dictated by calendars and schedules and urgency. So, gee, yes, for a little while, whoa, this is nice. 
And in the long term, I think we find that we can't even hardly stand ourselves for that amount of time. And we were not born to be free range. We, we, did, we do find that out. A lot of us find it. We were not supposed to be free range. And so we were really made by God, for God, and for each other. We need some structure. And we need fellow believers, which is to say we need fellowship, right? John Ortberg, uh, in his book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. Uh, <laughs> writes, yeah, everybody should get that. Um, Adam's fellowship with God was perfect, and God himself declared Adam needed other humans. N.T. Wright has written, as a newborn baby breathes and cries, so the signs of life in a newborn Christian are faith and repentance, inhaling the love of God and exhaling an initial cry of distress. And at that point, what God provides exactly as for a newborn infant is the comfort, protection, and nurturing promise of a mother. Then he goes on to quote Calvin, if God is our father, the church is our mother. The words of those of Swiss reformer, it is as impossible and unnecessary and undesirable to be a Christian all by yourself as it is to be a, a newborn baby all by yourself. Spurgeon took this in a little bit of a different direction. He just points out that those who belong to Christ are sheep in this respect, that they love to get together. Sheep go in flocks, and so do God's people. So the question, of course, right, is are you part of the flock? The fellowship of the early church we see in Acts is one of an intimately acquainted, closely knit, selfless, caring band of people looking out for each other, growing in Christ together. Furthermore, we read there was a sense of awe among them as day after day they saw God at work and many were being saved. And there is no reason to believe this isn't the ideal and shouldn't be the norm for us in the Christian church today if we were to choose the route of true fellowship. How can you jump on this train? How can you be part of the fellowship here in this church. How do we do this at United Baptist Church? Well, in formal ways, we do a lot of fellowship through our discipleship groups, through Bible studies, through Sunday school classes, through prayer meetings. And just, just so you know, there are, those things are in your bulletin, or most of them are, but there are sign-up sheets for these different fellowship opportunities out in the Welcome Center. And I want to encourage you, before you leave today, to take some time to look on their same sheets on two different bulletin boards so that we don't have to log, no lines, no waiting. But keep an eye out, take a look, read through them, and see if there might be an opportunity or two that, that appeals to you, that you think, you know what, this is probably where I ought to go, this is what I ought to do, this is how I can engage in some meaningful fellowship. I would encourage you, please, take some time to look over those things before you leave today. So, worship, fellowship, last for today, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus through service. And our sense of the importance of service in the making of disciples comes straight from the words and examples of Jesus. We think of Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where of all the people who ought to be served, it should be the Son of God, the maker of all things, and yet he tells us that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The selflessness of Jesus in service to others is our aim. 
We are to become like him more and more, according to the book of Romans, chapter 8. That is our hope. We need only think of Jesus stooping to wash his disciples' feet and then doing that, looking at his disciples and telling them, you go and do as I have done. We are made to serve. We are built to serve. This is one of the ways that the gospel does get out into, into our circles of influence is through service. And this is one of the ways where we emulate Jesus in the church. And this is one of the ways how, that Jesus builds the church is through us serving one another. Service to God and the service of others to his church is proof of a life that is not self-absorbed or self-indulgent. So at the risk of offense, which I take just about every Sunday, to be busy to serve the Lord, too busy to serve the Lord because we are busy serving ourselves or our own interests indicates a life, again, that's out of balance. If we are too busy to serve the Lord because we are serving ourselves and our own interests, it may be that our life is out of balance. And I think we could probably all maybe confess to having problems with balance from time to time, to, to getting out of, uh, out of sorts that way. And, and recently, I think a lot of us have lost balance because of the pandemic, and how could we not? Um, why wouldn't we be? Why, why wouldn't we need an alignment, right? Um, we all come through pothole season, and we all understand why we need a front-end alignment. Well, it seems like we could use some aligning here. Um, we've been through a tough season. A lot of the traditional conventional means of serving God that we are, enjoy and have been available to us have been lost or not available over the last couple of years. Many of us have felt such a frustration. Ministers, unable to minister. It has not been fun. So again, I'm, I don't want you to hear this as a criticism. It's not. It's an observation. But more even than an observation, right, it's an invitation. Your church needs you. In order for us to carry on the mission the Lord has given to us, we really do need all hands on deck. And I don't think it's an unreasonable thought that everyone who's a member of a church is in one capacity or another serving in the ministries of the church. I think that fits with the theology of the church and the composition of the church and why God brings people to a church. And I totally get it that some people who used to do one thing can't do that anymore. And some people, some people would bemoan to me. They do. They say, Pastor, I just I can't do what I used to do. I'm, I'm, I'm older. I, I'm not as able. Uh, I can't make a pie. Like, there's all kinds of people make a pie. You know what I need you to do? Pray. Of all the things that we think of when we think about ministering in a church, why is that one like near to the bottom of the list and the thing that, well, I guess I can pray? When it's so vital and so important. So when I say be engaged in the ministries of the church and you're thinking right away, well, I can't swing a hammer and I can't bake a pie and I can't watch kids because I can't bend over or if I do bend over, I can't get up. <laughs> can you pray? You bet you can pray. Do we need you to pray? Oh, we need you to pray. So whether that is just simply joining our prayer chain and being, 
being aware of the needs and faithfully lifting them up or coming to our Wednesday prayer meeting or very soon we may be starting up another prayer meeting for this purpose. What I'm saying is there are ways for you to engage that are truly meaningful and are absolutely necessary. But there are two barriers present that I can see. I'm sure there's more. I just see two in making this 100% involvement idea a reality. The first is this, we don't know the specific gifting, passions, and skills of every member. We just don't. We don't know how God has uniquely wired each of you, how the Spirit has gifted you. And number two, we don't do a great job at making the needs known. We just, we're pretty bad at that, to be honest with you. There are a few people who will just pick it up and go with it. And some of you have been in some of those situations. It's not that unhealthy thing where there's only a couple people doing the work, but you've probably been in those situations where because you're able or because you're available, you end up doing a lot. And we just don't share the needs with others. I like to say at this church, if you're competent, we punish competence. So if you're good at something, we'll heap on... No. But I have seen that. We believe that God is bringing together his people for his purpose. And if everyone would just pick up their piece, it's a beautiful thing. So there are a couple of things we're doing right away to combat these two problems that we have. The first is an adult elective called Your Divine Design, which Pastor Mike is teaching. Uh, starting next week. By the way, all Sunday school classes next week start here at 9 o'clock. You're not misreading anything. Everything starts here at 9 o'clock. And from here, we'll disperse. So if you're coming to Sunday school next week, be here by 9 o'clock, okay? Pastor Mike's going to teach your divine design. It's a class about gifting. It's a class about passions. If you're new to the church, if you're kicking the tires on the church, If you have been here for a while but you've never taken a class like that, or at least not in this church, I want to encourage you to go to that class. That should be a big class, and I hope it is a big class. And you can probably expect uh, new members at least, a phone call or an email this week to further encourage you to attend that class. So that's one thing we're doing. Second thing that we've done is we've created this thing through the marvels of modern technology was just saying that is difficult for me. Accessing it is almost impossible. The United Baptist Church Job Board. So, <laughs> what did that say? Oh, uh, that's it. Really? We're on Google. We have arrived. Um, All right, so here's our, here's our homepage. So here's a little hands-on for you today. Here's our homepage. And if you go to the up top, you'll see, well, actually, it's got in a couple spots. It's right there. It's up top also under Get Involved. But it's right there where Ben's moving that little thing. If you click on that, oh, my heavens, UBC's Digital Job Board. So if you want to know some of the things that we need done around here or opportunities for service that are available to you, look at that. And that's the beginning. So what happens, Ben, when you should click on one of those? Hospitality, Hospitality yes. Click on. There it is. There's a description of the job. 
There's an opportunity for you to put your contact information in there, and then there's a place where you can send that. That, that email goes to like six people, because we're not going to let anything fall through the cracks, <laughs> because I told you we're not good at this. Um, so we're learning. And then the ministry leader that is in charge of that particular team or function or event, whatever it happens to be, will be able to get in touch with you and coordinate the way that you can be plugged in. On the left side there, where Ben is now, there's also a drop-down list, because when you pull up the digital board, you will not get every classified that's there. In other words, you're not going to see all the jobs that are available. So if you have a particular passion, and you already know that, you have a, a, an interest in missions or an interest in children's ministry or, or facilities, you could use the drop-down menu, you could go there, and you will get specific jobs in those ministry areas. Does that make sense? Does anybody have a question about that? Good, because I'm maxed out on what I know about it, and <laughs> we're praying that that makes it easier for you because we do honestly recognize that sometimes the reason people don't serve in a church is because they don't know how to do it. They don't know what the church needs. That, this is some of the stuff that we need. So before this week is over, I would ask you, I think it would be better even before this day is over, if you would visit our website and the UBC Job Board and you would take some time to look through there and see if there's anything that you might be able and willing to do. Uh, and we would very much appreciate it. Okay, time to wrap this thing up. Um, you do know statistics nationally are supported by our own experience here locally, and they confirm what Matt Adair found when he questioned pastors about the challenges of the post-pandemic church. People have lost the habit of following Jesus together. And that is, again, an observation. It is more true, obviously, in some places than it is in others. It is more true in some lives than it is in others. And it is completely understandable why it would be this way. And what I, I guess what I'm saying there is nobody needs to be casting any, any blame. It's not about blaming anybody for anything. But listen, our energy now must be in choosing. If we are willing to confront the brutal facts of our reality, this is where we are. The question is, where do we want to be? How do we want to be? What kind of church do we want to be? And I am genuinely hoping that we will choose to replace some of our newer pandemic paths with the ancient pre-pandemic ones, and that we would wholeheartedly regain the habits of following Jesus together. Our Father and our God, you have graciously called us to this place and to be this people. You have generously gifted us with everything and anything we need to carry out your purpose for us. And we so desire to hear from you, the head of the church, in our direction, in our ministry, in the advancement of your gospel and your kingdom. Move in us to make us who you want us to be. Help us to be open to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.